Lisa's uh, words that she shared a few moments ago about tradition did make me think about a theologian who one time defined it this way. He said, make sure I get this right, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. There's a difference. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Which made me think of a story of a pastor who showed up for his first Sunday. Got introduced by the deacon. So we're very thrilled to have Pastor Jones here to serve as our next pastor. Pastor Jones gets up there. He's going to cast his vision to the church. And he gets up and he stands up and he says, I am so thrilled to be here. I am so excited to be here. I am ready to take this church into the 19th century. Deacon kind of came up behind him and said, Pastor, this is the 21st century. He turned around and said, I know, let's just take it one century at a time. (laughs) That's traditionalism. So sometimes I'll start my prepared message preparation at home by looking at the computer screen and my blank page, and I'll ask myself this question, what is it I want to say? What is it that I want to say? So this is what I want to say this morning. Just put it out there first. It is possible to be a devoted person of faith, devoted in our spiritual practices, active in our church, serving in a variety of ways, and still be emotionally stuck or emotionally immature. Now that's not a bad thing or a knock because full confession, there are places in which I am still emotionally stuck and emotionally immature. That's the growing process. Now this isn't an idea that I developed on my own. I borrowed it from a pastor in New York City, a pastor in Queens, Peter Scazzaro, who wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And he opens up his book with this sentence, quote, Christian spirituality, without an integration of emotional health, can be deadly to yourself, your relationships with God, and the people around you. And then he adds this, I know because I've lived half my adult life in this way. I have more personal illustrations than I care to recount. Now I know what he's talking about. In my 30 plus years of pastoral ministry, in my 30 plus years of what they now call adulting, it's often been my lack of integrated emotional health that has sabotaged my life, caused me to get stuck in my own spiritual development. Now here's the good news. I am more aware of it now than I've ever been. Here's the bad news. If it is bad news, I still have a long way to go. And I'm sure that I'm going to be working on it until my last breath here on earth. But here's what I'm getting at. It's my sense that for most of us people in general, We have been taught to check our emotions at the door when we come to worship. So, we get ready for worship in the morning. There's a big fight with our spouse and our kids in the car as we're coming down the road. We walk up to the board, boom, we check it at the door. You laughed really hard on that one. I'm kind of worried about that. (laughs) Maybe there's a family member or friend that we're in conflict with, and we don't know how to move forward. We get here and we check it at the door. Maybe we're sad. Maybe we're grieving. Maybe we're feeling weighed down with disappointment. Maybe we're in a season in our life where there's real confusion. We get to the front door. We check it at the door. It could be we're angry at someone. 
We're angry at life. We're maybe angry at God. We check it at the door. Maybe we're just lonely. Maybe we're scared, confused. Maybe we're bored with life. We get to the front door and we just check it at the door. And we've been taught, we've been trained, we've been enculturated to keep that stuff away and to check it at the door. In other words, to keep it away from the spiritual stuff or what we define as the spiritual stuff. The problem is this. It will find a way to to surface. The feelings that we stuff, that we repress, that we deny, and that we avoid, they all find their way to the surface, sort of like toxins, kind of seeping out of a toxic dump into the surrounding groundwater. The toxic emotions we bury end up leaking out of our containers and into the soul of our lives. Along with that, we end up living what I would call disintegrated lives instead of integrating our lives as one whole. We have our spiritual life with our emotional life and we separate out the two and we pull out the spiritual life for special occasions and for Sundays and then we pull out the emotional life for the rest of the week. The challenge is this and the problem is this is one doesn't always affect the other. And so take anger for example. We come to meeting for worship maybe angry at something or someone. We check it at the door. We pick it back up when we leave, and we go into the rest of the week angry. We bring sadness and grief and disappointment. We check it at the door. We're here for a couple hours, and then when we leave, we pick it up again, and then we go through the rest of the week that way. Nothing ever changes because we have conveniently created two containers. To live this life of integrity, though, is to bring these two together. When we separate the two, we leave them separated, the spiritual and the emotional. We end up living a divided life, and we never allow our salvation experience to do what it was intended to do, to make us whole. That's what salvation really means, to make us whole people, to bring us into that place of harmony, to live this life of integrity. Last week, I started a series entitled Living on a Growing Edge, this term growing edge coined by Howard Thurman. It describes that place in our life in which life keeps pushing through. It's those places in our life in which we feel there's there's no hope, but hope finds a way. Those places in our life that invites us into the places that seem dead or that seem deadening, but God's grace uses them to bring us new life, new energy, and new growth. And I think it's in this area of emotional wholeness or emotional maturity that we often experience new growth, new life, and new energy. And part of that is because that's been my experience. When I have been willing to befriend, to befriend my feelings and emotions instead of denying them and stuffing them. When we keep denying them and stuff them, they end up affecting us. But when we befriend them, they really tell us what's going on inside our souls. The feelings and emotions are nothing to be afraid of. They simply signal that something is going on. They're simply signals to help us wake up to what's going on inside of us. A few years ago, I knew a man that was constantly negative. In fact, I often thought of him as a negaholic, such a word. He just was addicted to it. And it was as if his negativity was the way that he numbed his pain. And I realized that's exactly what he did. He numbed his pain through his negativity. And because he numbed it, he never had to have any high expectations for himself. He didn't have to have any hopes. He didn't have to have any dreams. He never had to aspire to be better at anything. He didn't even have to try because in his mind it didn't matter. He wouldn't get that promotion. 
He wouldn't succeed. He would eventually fail. He would eventually mess things up. So he had set his life up that way, and everything he did confirmed that. And in fact, he did. Not because he was a bad person, not because he was without talent. It was because he had convinced himself he had nothing to offer. The problem was this. He ended up blaming everyone else for his self-sabotage. That jerk of a boss. That co-worker that was out to get him. That family member who wouldn't get their act together. For him, everyone else was to blame. And he was the victim. And then I got to know a story, which, by the way, is really key. We often don't know people. We see the tip of the iceberg. Getting to know their story is the other 90% below the surface. And I got to know a story. It was not an unusual one. It was a painful one, nonetheless. His first marriage had dissolved early on. She left, and he was left to find work, raise their only daughter. He worked in a very stressful environment, the kind of environment that was up and down depending on the economy, but yet there were quotas to be met. So you add up this failed marriage in which uh, his spouse had left him, doing all he can to raise his child, feeling the hit on his self-worth from this failed marriage, and working in a field that brought regular stress, pressure, and assaults on his life. And you had this potent mix of pain made up of anger, hurt, and low self-worth that eventually manifested itself as negativity, victimitis, and basically self-sabotage. Now here's the thing. Did this person love Jesus? Absolutely. Do I feel he had experienced a saving encounter with the living Christ? Absolutely. Was he going to go to heaven? Absolutely. Was he missing out on the abundant life Jesus tells us we can experience because he was unable to allow the grace and mercy of God to touch him in those deepest places and those broken places? Absolutely. I believe he lived what I would call a fairly satisfactory life. I'm just not sure he lived a very joyful and meaningful life. There's a difference between the two. He lived a very satisfactory, functional life. I'm just not sure he lived a very meaningful and joyful and purposeful life. And that's what made me sad for him. And that's what made me sad for many others that I see in that place. And that's often where we may find ourselves. Our scripture text this morning offers these words, quote, The Lord Most High is the one who gives life to every heart, who gives life to the spirit. Look, he indeed exchanged my bitterness for wholeness. Those words in Isaiah are attributed to King Hezekiah in the Old Testament. A king, during the days of Isaiah, Hezekiah became deathly sick. And Isaiah came to him and basically said, look, you're really sick. You need to put your affairs in order. You're not going to make it. Hezekiah has enough life in him, enough perseverance, enough, I'm not done yet. He prays to God and pleads for his life, reminding God of his devotion, of everything that he's done for Judah. And God responds by giving Hezekiah 15 more years of life. And so Hezekiah responds with this prayer of gratitude and thanksgiving. And it's a prayer that recognizes that God has given him new life and God has answered his prayer for healing and for wholeness. And I, I, I want to add that it's that kind of prayer that can be our prayer as well. It's a prayer that reminds us, first of all, that God's intent for each one of us 
is to give us life, not just physical breath, but to give us life of spirit, to give us life of heart so that we really feel as if we're living and there's energy and there's joy and there's meaning and purpose. Heart in the scripture is is that which is the essence of who we are. It's the seat of our emotions. It is what we feel. It's It's God's intent that we experience life both in our heart and in our spirit. Life in the form of energy. Life in the form of a continued evolving of who we can become. Life is meaning, is purpose. Life in the form of resilience and perseverance. A willingness to not give up. And God is this one who gives life to every soul. So we don't have to be looking for life in what I call life substitutes. Whether it's something in a bottle or addictive behavior or meaningless relationships or playing the overachieving perfect person in constant overwork or workaholism or expensive pursuits or adventures that we really don't want to do. We just do them only to impress others. God is the one who gives life to every heart and soul and we are invited to rediscover our life at home with God. And this growing edge occurs, I think, when we allow God to exchange whatever emotional stuckness we may be experiencing, and we exchange it for wholeness. King Hezekiah, in this passage, says these words, God, in, God indeed exchanged my bitterness for wholeness. How would you fill in that blank? How would you offer or say that statement? God indeed exchanged my disappointment for wholeness. God indeed exchanged my bitterness for wholeness. God indeed exchanged my anger, my sadness, my grief, my cynicism, my disappointment, whatever it is, God exchanged that for wholeness. Now wholeness may sound like one of those words that we have a hard time getting our head and heart around. So let me offer this definition um, This is by an author by the name of Chuck DeGroat. He describes it this way, quote, Wholeness can be described as soulfulness. It's a life that's centered, a life that is passionately engaged. It is open. It is creative. It is connected. It is propelled by a sense of mission. In other words, it's a life that's alive. It's on a growing edge. And I think the first step to knowing is that we're willing to allow God, if we are willing to allow God to exchange whatever it is we're dealing with for wholeness, it comes with a bit of self-awareness. So let me offer these questions for you um, as we come to a close that maybe can help identify what we need to exchange. And one of these questions, maybe all of them, maybe neither of them, offer you some help. First question is, what emotion or feeling keeps you from moving forward and living out your best self? In other words, what are you feeling stuck in. Second, what emotion or feeling consumes you to the point you have no energy left to creatively think about your life and how you can live with a sense of mission? In other words, this emotion and this feeling has taken up all your head space, all your heart space. Number three, what emotion or feeling causes you to live a divided life? In other words, you have your spiritual life. When you get here, you check it at the door. And then when you leave, you pick it up as you, as you head out. But nothing ever changes. And then what emotion or feeling are you tired of carrying and you're ready to let go of so you can experience that was described, that centered, passionately engaged, open, creative, connected, mission-driven life that best describes wholeness.
Now, why is this so important? Now, I'm going to go back to what I read earlier by Peter Scazzaro, who wrote that book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Again, here's what he says. Christian spirituality without an integration of emotional health can be deadly to yourself, your relationship with God, and the people around you. And then he adds this. One of the greatest gifts we can give our world is to be a community of emotionally healthy adults who love well. See, what I know is this, and I'm speaking very transparently, when I am not living at my emotional best, when I'm not paying attention to those places in my life that I am either stuck or I need to grow up, I don't love well. I don't love good. I don't love in a healthy way. And there is no greater gift we can give our world than to be a community of emotionally healthy adults who love well. And so emotional wholeness is part of that journey. It's part of that journey of flourishing. It's part of that journey of becoming whole in our salvation and spiritual journey. You know, before you leave, or when you leave, if you want, if you go out that door, there's a little table that we've set up outside um, the fellowship hall. You may have seen it recently. It's got a few things on it. And I'm going to put out at that door um, uh, some other handouts as well. And it's the same one. And essentially it's from Peter Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And what he does is he identifies characteristics of different stages of emotional development. Everything from being an emotional infant to emotional child to an emotional adolescent to an emotional adult. Now here's the thing. If you want to pick it up and look at it and look at the characteristics, it may be helpful for you to get some self-awareness around where might I be. If you feel like an emotional child when you read it, well, join the club, all right? Most of us have pieces of emotional children, emotional adults, and emotional infants with us. Don't get too hung up if you have patterns, habits, ways that you respond to life which could need growth. That's great. That's what we want to know. As I read it and review it, my whole goal all the time is to keep moving my life forward from being less of an emotional adolescent and less of an emotional child and more as an emotional adult. And my second caution is this. If you do pick it up to look at it, if the first thing you think about is the other person that needs to read it, then that's got a problem. (laughs) You're not looking at it so you can identify what's wrong with the other person. Look at it just create some self-awareness for you to allow, in a very real way, the Spirit to speak to you. Maybe we could even use this word to convict you, to help wake you up to those places in your life that may be sabotaging your relationships, your growth, your wholeness, and even your spiritual journey.